welcome to the Enhanced Living Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Kruger. I believe that we all have within us the power to be everything that we are meant to be and so much more. This show is a weekly dose of practical and spiritual principles, strategies, tips, and ideas to help you grow into the best version of yourself. Here's to becoming exactly who you were meant to become. I've been called a human Swiss army knife because I'm a TV host, inspirational speaker and coach, live event MC and DJ, certified yoga and Ayurveda teacher, functional fitness enthusiast, author, husband, and dad with a voracious appetite for knowledge. And I'll be sharing real talks with successful people from all walks of life, spiritual teachers and masters and experts in many different fields. I'll also share my own perspective that I've gained from over 20 years of diligent meditation and spiritual work so we can all experience enhanced living. Are you ready to evolve? Let's do this. All right, welcome back to the show. If you've been listening for a while, then you know that this program is all about living the best version of yourself and achieving the goals that you've set out to achieve. But what happens when you get most of the way there? And for some reason, you just can't cross the finish line. Well, on today's episode, I have with me someone who writes about just that. She is a former performer. She's got her master's degree from Columbia University. She teaches at the Omega Institute. But most importantly for today, she is the author of The Final Eighth. Bridget Dengel Gaspard is here with me today. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks for having me, Adam. I want to know, you wrote about the final eighth, which is really about making seven eighths of the way towards your goal. But then that last eighth is a place where oftentimes people get stuck. Tell me, how did you come to A, overcome that challenge of getting over that last eighth? And what made you decide to write a whole book about it? So the final eighth is usually really uncomfortable territory, right? And it's for people who are dedicated, talented, smart. So it doesn't make sense. They're seven eighths of the way there and they suddenly stall. And so that certainly happened to me several times. And so I I know it as a concept and it's like a mystery. It doesn't even make sense to the person it's happening to. And so it's also painful because often that's people look back and they're like, you know, I went this far and then I never did it. So the other thing about the final eighth and getting so close to the finish line, it's a success issue, is that it often stays with you. And it could stay with you as a regret, even a source of shame, and it doesn't go away. So basically, I wrote the book because I wanted to resolve that for myself. This is the book that I needed to read at some point, and I ended up writing it. And it happened because... I basically am a former performer and I can get into all that, but I am, I, I transitioned into being a therapist and a coach. And the work that I do basically is called voice dialogue. And it's this revolutionary technique of communicating with the different parts of yourself, also called alter egos, subpersonalities, inner selves. We use them interchangeably. And so when I heard about that work, I chased down the creators, the doctors, Hal and Sidra Stone, which meant in those days, I went and got their 800 number (laughs) and I became their mentee. And the work is so powerful when you go to different self and let that self speak as it is. And then you come back to center and you can feel the energetic shift. You also understand the history of that part of you, where that part lives in your body. And you get an expanded version of who you are. 
So I love that work so much. I eventually became a practitioner in private practice, helping people with creativity blocks, life blocks of all kinds. And one day it came sort of out from my solar plexus. I watched yet another client that I knew had been working hard because I was with them now this whole way as their coach. I knew they did what they said they were going to do. They were accountable for what they didn't do. They were talented, had the resources, and they were so puzzled, as was I, and upset. And it came out like, wow, this is a thing. And it came out the finally, because they've come so far. And then I began to realize, wow, it's everywhere. It it affected people that were in the helping fields, the creative fields, lawyers, bankers. It didn't matter. It applied across the board. And then when I said, well, you know, I kind of think of this as the final eighth. And I would explain to them briefly how I visualized what was happening. Because the other thing is when you can label something, it takes away the shame and blame. It's like, all right, Also, it gives you a way like, okay, so if this is a thing that has a name, what are the solutions? Where can I go next? It literally unsticks the stuckness. Every single person I said this to on an individual level was like, oh my gosh, yeah, final eighth. And then the next time I would see them, it's like, okay, okay, I had a final eighth issue. I admit it. And then people started moving and shifting and becoming unstuck. And that's when I started to write the book, which I used to say, for years. Well, I'm working on finishing my book and not finishing. And then I finished it. So I had a first eighth problem because that's what happens. If we're lucky enough to be alive and well, we get after the final eighth, we have to figure out, okay, what's next? And so then of course, what's next was getting the book out there and being with people like you. And so that's, that's the overview, I guess, of the inception of the final eighth. That's it's really it's really interesting that, you know, well, a lot of the things that you said, not achieving stays with you. So I want to address that first, because I feel like that's a huge thing for people when there's this the saying, you know, if at first you don't succeed, try and try again. Right. right. But when we fail that first time, what does that do psychologically to us and how do we move past it? So the premise of voice dialogue, which is the the foundational tool that I use, is that our healthy personality consists of many different parts. And these parts have competing agendas. And so we don't realize that. So the competing agenda often rears its ugly head from the other point of view when the stuckness happens. So, but often like you brought up is the, the emotions get so strong that it even becomes difficult to approach why the first failure. And so I used to have cells that it's like, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. How about if at first you don't succeed, deny, deny, deny again. <laughs> and so we have to admit we have those parts that want to keep their head in the sand because they're scared. And so the truth is fear is at the base of usually all of this, but okay, great. Now what? You know what I mean? So I think we honor the fear of those selves because every self has wisdom from the way that I work, which is that fear has a foundation of truth. And so when you talk to that fearful part, and that fearful part could be a cynic, it could be an inner child, it could be a CEO type. So we have different parts that energetically look like different things and have different ways of moving us around in our life. But just because a part looks like it's full of bravado, don't think it doesn't have fear. It might, but it might not. And, and the idea is to find out for real. So when you pay attention to the fear, as opposed to just 
saying, well, just let's do it again. It's like, okay, because by the time people work with me, they often have done it again and done it again. And the smart ones failed differently each time. I know one of my favorite rules is sure, make a mistake, aim to just make it once. That feels like a humane way to really honor the humans that we are. But you've got to be able to be in relationship with the parts of you that are somehow tripping up or actively sabotaging. And what are they trying to say? I would say that they're sabotaging is trying to be a message to you. And it has to be that painful or you'd override it. So, you know, intuition whispers, but if you're not listening, it's going to kind of bash. And if you're not listening, it's going to like make a crisis. And it's like, oh, okay, now I have to pay attention. This is too huge not to. And so the fear often is that you're going to be flooded with the horrible nightmare, whatever it is that you're worried about. But if you deal with it directly, you find out, no, it may be troublesome and hard. It's not necessarily wonderfully fun and warm and fuzzy, but it's usually, and I might say almost never, the horrible nightmare that the terrified parts of yourself think it is. However, the paradox is it could, if you keep ignoring it, you could go into such debt that bankruptcy becomes a real possibility, things like that. So it's like the not dealing with it actually helps your fear come true. But the dealing with it, even though it's difficult, really does not only help your fear not come true, but ideally thriving and enjoying this goal that you've worked so hard to make happen. I love that. It's 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 really true. I mean, you know, when you shine a light on something, right, that's you make the darkness disappear. If you yes. acknowledge that you're holding on to something, you can then choose to let it go. You can't do any of those things without actually acknowledging what the issue is. I want to drill down a little bit deeper because you were talking about the different personality types that we have or the different selves that we have within us, right? I want to I want to expand on that a little bit because you said that there's competing agendas. And this is something that I think that we've all sort of touched on, right? So for for my listeners, you've been in that position where you have like this this like doubt in your mind and you know that you're going to fail at something or you you you're constantly putting that negative spin on it. But at the same time, on the other side, you're like, no, but I want this. But then there's that little, that uh, that second voice in your head. I'm pretty sure that's what you're talking about, right? When you say the multiple selves and the competing agendas, can we get a little bit more clarity on that and what it is that's in action, or what's, what's at play here when, when we are self-sabotaging, for example? Because I think that's kind of what it is, is it's self-sabotage, no? Yes. So, so the idea is that all of those parts have wisdom, even in that second voice that says, but are you sure or, or more painfully reminding you of an early core negative belief? Yeah, but you know, you're not lovable. So like, why would you even try that kind of thing? Some of these are very painful messages from early in people's lives. And they think that it's completely erased because they've done work. And and that I think is the problem. The work is amazing that people do. And, and what, that's what I love about my book. It's like, bring everything you've done because that's your wisdom and amazingness. But some parts of us are expressing a distorted loyalty. They're actually attached to those core negative beliefs as a form of love to the people that gave them their original misinformation. Mm -hmm. And so if we really look at it as like a compassionate inner four-year-old that just needs your love and needs to be reminded of the truth and not pushed away, not shoved off is the problem, but saying, wow, again, like you said, 
putting the light on it. Core negative beliefs are always false. But what's true is maybe you made a lifetime of decisions as if they were true, or you walked away from some amazing opportunities and it's only you to blame in the sense, because sometimes the final eighth appears when the universe keeps saying yes. People often feel like, I can't handle all these yeses. What will I do? They don't know that consciously, but inside it's like, wait, this goes against my core negative belief that things don't work out and here everything's working out. And internally, that makes a double bind. You just are stalled. And so with the talking to the part of yourself, wow, you know, yes, I understand that that was, a, you know, you, you honor that story that that part of you holds. And then you're like, guess what? It's never been true that you're worthless or that nothing works out. And, but I'm going to love my inner child and I'm not going to make them be the one that has to climb the big wall to get to the goal. I'm going to get my lumberjack selves and my savvy engineer selves to do those jobs. And it's almost like then you get access to the alter egos that have the precise superpower that you need at the time. We talk about alter egos almost as if they only consist of Superman and Superwoman. But I argue that the superpowers come in all colors. And you want the alter egos with the superpower that knows intimacy, say, on a date. But that's not the right one to lead with when you're in your final negotiations for the million-dollar deal. That makes perfect sense. I mean, I, I love that you touched upon core negative beliefs because that, I think, is where the fear of success comes in. So many people talk about fear of failure, but really... There are so many people that I know can relate to the idea of, I'm about to get everything I've always wanted. What do I do then? And they yes. freak out. And so they self-sabotage because it's outside of their comfort zone. So in the final eighth, how do you address overcoming that hurdle? And I know you sort of touched on it with, you know, calling upon our, our different alter egos that help us with these different superpowers. But is there, is there a method? Is there a technique that you drill down on to kind of go, hey, whoa, 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 slow down. Take a breath, listen to yourself, examine why you're feeling this way. How do you move forward through this obstacle or this fear of success? Because a lot of people don't talk about the fear of success. They talk about the fear of failure, but how do we overcome the fear of success? Beautiful question. So, right. I, I often say there's no validation, very little validation in the outside world. You, they'll get the violins out. Oh, are you having a fear of success issue? I mean, it's it can be really painful. There's very little space to say in all seriousness, yes, that's what I'm going through. So to also acknowledge where you don't get this external support so that you can go and get the support you need and don't ask people who can't give you that support for the support that you need. And so I have a whole chapter devoted to practicing safe success because you have to also tolerate things like you might lose some friends. They were happy to meet you for coffee and kvetching, and they're not going to make a time to meet for Java Enjoy. And you have to grieve that loss and, and accept reality in, on reality's terms in that sense. And so I have many different pages dedicated to these things that might happen. And then again, back to you saying, putting the light on, then you can make a conscious decision. And maybe you'll decide, well, with this friend, I just won't bring up X. But this friend has been with me for 25 years. I'm not going to dump them. I'm just going to put them in a different category or something like that. 
The other thing that happens is I think a lot of people don't understand the terror envy can elicit. And what people don't know, and this is a big secret, is that envy on both sides of the coin is horrible and can be poisonous. Meaning, we all know how it feels to be to envy, and it's very painful. But what a lot of people don't understand is to be envied is also painful mm-hmm. and isolating. And so one of the exercises I do in the book is to take a quality of one of yourselves, like envy, because we have envious selves, whether we like to admit it or not. And what are the gifts of that? And you shift your relationship, and that's part of practicing safe success. So instead of saying, oh, I'm having this really difficult emotional and physiological state, which it is, you can just acknowledge that. And would, would you answer that question? Like, what would you say would be a few gifts of your envious self? Ooh, interesting. Okay, well... <sighs> Truth be told, I've done quite a bit of work on myself, right? But at the same time, I still would love to be in certain places that I have yet to achieve. So when you think about that, right, and you look at, see, I, I think I've learned personally to transform that, where where I see someone who's succeeding in a realm where I would like to be succeed or more successful than I currently am. When I see that, I go, okay, cool. That's something to aspire to. So I think the, I think the positive aspect is, okay, well, instead of being jealous of it, because I'm pretty secure in who I am, that doesn't mean that I don't get hit with a tinge of like, oh man, I wish I was there. I do. I'm human. It's normal. It's natural. But I'm, I've found that through meditation, through real self-introspection, self-introspection, I mean, I don't think there's any, there's no other (laughs) kind of introspection, right? (laughs) But through deep introspection, let's, let's call it that. I'm now able to look at that and go, okay, cool. I, I see what that person's doing. I want to bring my own flair to that. And I want to be, I want to get that level of success. So what did they do to get to where they are? And how can I apply that in my own life? And I think that's the positive aspect of it. So instead of, instead of, you know, succumbing to the envy, right. And going, yes. oh, I hate this person. Right. No, no, I respect that person. I admire that person. And let me see how I can, I can not model myself after them, but maybe see if there's some things that they've done that I can also apply to my own version of what it is that I'm doing. And maybe that will work for me too. And so I think that that's a positive aspect of envy and I'm using air quotes, but at the end of the day, personally, I believe that envy is, is kind of silly because there's only one you in all of existence. The chances of you being born as you are in this moment, it's one in like 400 trillion. And I think everyone should celebrate who they are to the end of time because who everyone is, is special. And so So I think that to answer your question, sorry, that was a super long-winded. No, uh, I love it. I couldn't agree more. It's um, true. Right? I I would say that the the positive aspect of envy is it helps you understand what it is that you really want. And so it points that out for you. So there's the positive, in my opinion. Yeah. And I think I'm using the word gift, but we're using positive as a synonym in my mind. Exactly. And another thing could be, maybe you need some compassion and self-care if like you're for those that do get flooded with it for example it's like okay like you said take a breath it's always good to take a breath (laughs) but then it's like okay i'm i and then do everything you said what is it about that person that i would want in my own style not them because yes thank goodness we're each our own unique snowflake Mm -hmm. but yeah that and so you don't run away from those big feelings because i think when you push beyond your edge, which the finally automatically means you are, you're going to have big emotions. 
And that's not, and if you, if the wrong parts of you interpret those big emotions as see, you always get upset. You can't handle it or make some negative false conclusion. You can say to yourself, okay, let me do some of these skills because of course I'm nervous or of course I'm overwhelmed for the moment. I've got lots of skills. Let me just use them and not be afraid and run back into behind the seven eighths because you're having feelings that are equated with success and achievement. I love that. Now, in in your book, you do talk about voice dialogue, right? And actually literally sort of having a conversation with these different aspects of yourself, of your personality that you had just said, like, see, you always do X, Y, Z or whatever. We we do have this self-talk where sometimes it's positive. Sometimes there there are aspects of it where we're just like, yeah, I always, I always win or I always have enough or I always do this. But there are the other sides of it too, where we say, yeah, you're stupid. You always do that. We talk like that to ourselves, which is absolutely bananas, right? So what's, what's the method of, of that voice dialogue? How do we overcome the ones that are self-sabotaging and how do we nurture the ones that are, are self-fortifying? In the book, I guide readers step-by-step how to do this so that anyone who's nervous, like, oh my gosh, don't worry. I literally have, it's a guidebook on how to do this. And the idea is that every single self in us has wisdom, but they also have the noble purpose of protection. They're protecting you somehow. It might be distorted or no longer appropriate, but even that gives you more compassion for the parts of you, all parts of you, no matter how potentially problematic. So the idea is if you have a part like a toxic inner critic, some people have inner critics that are so brutal. So those techniques and blunt instruments, they have to go. But your inner critic will always stay with you. You can't get rid of these selves. So don't even try. However, you can make them part of your team. So let's say you was somebody has a toxic inner critic. In the book, I would tell you how to, to not allow the toxicity. You know, uh, uh, abuse is not allowed, period. I don't, in any form, it, whichever way it's directed. But inner critics usually are not your warm and fuzzy selves. But an inner critic that's on your side can say, hey, you know, you, you, you need to edit that. Or my antenna is going off on that particular person. Let's do a little more research. So they're often your keen, intelligent, like your own CIA operative that's got this brilliant eye looking out. And so you want to have that energy. And so that's one of the things you do that you turn these parts of you into allies, but energetically, they're going to be a particular way. So again, you don't ask your fun 14-year-old that just will always love rollerblading to be the inner critic because that rollerblader part of you, that they're just going with the flow. They're not paying attention to anything except the body fun that they're having. And and so I don't know if that's answered your question exactly, but that's my answer. <laughs> no, no, it does. It does. Because at least from my perspective, the way I see that is like, look, the critic, the, it, like going with that similar example, right? You're using it to ameliorate or to to make things better as opposed to criticizing yourself. It's more just going, okay, hey, look, I get this is my analytical side. I know that I'm going to let my eternally positive side take over my inner thinking. But hey, inner critic, I'm not trying to get rid of you. Listen, I need you to help me make sure to proofread these documents and make sure that I've dotted all my I's and crossed my T's and that I can trust this person who's just come into my life. Let me know if there's any red flags that stick out, because I'm if I'm under my eternally positive side, I, I may not I might not notice these things. And so 
you're really just employing those aspects of your personality and using the positive side of it, the more, and I don't even want to say positive because I think that can be sort of charged. I'm more saying constructive, use it in a constructive manner as opposed to a destructive manner. So there is a a constructive way to do everything or to use every aspect of our personalities because we are, we're a canvas, right? We're a whole painting of many colors. We're not just, Hey, here's gray on white. Have a good day. <laughs> Have a you good know, life. Right? So, <laughs> Have a good every day of your life. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the idea. But, you know, I actually talked about this on a recent episode of this show where I was saying how we do live in a world of duality and and the perceived negative, And I, again, use air quotes because nothing is bad or good. It's thinking that yeah. makes it so. Yeah. But so the perceived negative is there to help us choose again what you were saying about what what's the positive aspect of your of your envious self, right? right. It's about helping you realize what you do want and yeah. understanding what you don't. So I, I want to kind of just drill down again on on this core negative belief thing because this is a huge thing I think for people and for a lot of people because I truly believe and you had said this earlier that your core negative beliefs are usually you 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 keep them because uh, out of a, an obligation or a love for someone in your life oftentimes it's it's the voice of a parent or or an older sibling or someone who told you something way early on in life and we take it to be true because we just trust this person implicitly and then that belief becomes part of us and we never question it we yeah. just know that that's truth but if we were to actually drill down and look down at our core beliefs and go, wait a minute, is this even true? Yes. It opens things up, doesn't it? Yes, because it's not true. It might be true that you messed up that time, but it's not true you're a total mess up. Exactly right. Exactly. And, and then, again, start putting the light on it, you, it's freedom. Like, wow, because those parts of you really thought you were doomed to this negative belief, whatever it is, things don't work out. I'm unlovable. I mean, they're always painful, incredibly painful. And if they were true, then their conclusions would be accurate. Like why bother? Or because they're trying to protect you. If it's true that nothing works out, then your why bother cells make a lot more sense. But once you're like, hey, why bother cells? It's not true. They're like, oh, all right. And often that's why the change can be so quick with the final eighth process, because sometimes it just takes like educating a part of yourself that really thought they were struggling against you succeeding because that was for your best. They're like, oh, and it's a, it's, it does feel miraculous sometimes. And then it's like, okay, proceed. And that's the other thing. People think that final eighth is going to take as long as those seven eighths. No, not necessarily. And that's another reason I wrote this book is because the voice dialogue method is makes things happen so quickly and foundationally. So it's not like a quick fix. And then within a few days, you're back up. And even if that does happen, that you can go right back to the voice dialogue process and it really shifts you at your core. So then also sometimes you have to build a bigger core for your dream. It's like, wait, what? You need more esteem if that's what you're going to do. So good. How fun is that? So that's the other way I envision it. It's like your foundation or your core only was big enough for your seven A's. And now instead of starting at the top of the mountain, you've got to widen your base and then the top of the mountain can grow. That makes perfect sense. I mean, I mean, really what it comes down to, and I, I, I talk about this quite a bit, which is there's no such thing as a quick fix. You have to be able to really put into motion the 
daily practice, the the habits, the the right tendencies to get yourself to where you want to go. It's not like you read a book and all of a sudden, oh, great, everything's perfect now. <laughs> no, you have to actually apply the principles. It's like, you know, yes. uh, and, I've, and I've talked about this ad nausea at this point, but you can't brush your teeth on Monday, the mm-hmm. 1st of October, and then on November 12th, go to, into the dentist with no cavities, having only brushed your teeth that one time. You have to yeah. brush your teeth every day, at least twice a day, to make sure yes. that your teeth are clean, right? It's, I had a friend who said, can't I just sneeze one and for all. <laughs> I'm like, so the same thing that I love that. No, you have to sneeze when your nose needs sneezing. It's You can't sneeze once and for all. You can't brush your teeth once and for all. Exactly. I want to talk real quick before I ask you one more thing. This idea of mistakes and the toxic inner critic. Now, mm-hmm. in our home, right, when I, when I talk to my son or when we talk to our son, we tell him mistakes are good. Celebrate the mistakes. Why? Yes. Because when you make a mistake, that's an opportunity to learn. Now, if you keep making the same mistake over and over again, there's a problem. But you should cherish the mistakes because they mm-hmm. show you that, okay, cool, this is, this is not the right way to, to, to do whatever it is that you're doing. Time to fix it and re, uh, adjust or course correct. It's like Edison said, I, you know, he, 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 it took him a thousand tries to, to invent the light bulb, right? And, right? and he's like, well, I haven't failed a thousand times. I just found 999 ways not to make a light bulb. So <laughs> when you it's think of it. Brilliant. Right. So when you think of it from that perspective, celebrating mistakes, but yet our toxic inner critic will usually use that mistake to really get down on us. One, why do you think that is? And two, how do we overcome that so that we can literally go and celebrate the mistakes so that we can then improve our lives? Well, I want to just say you have a very lucky son because (laughs) one of the reasons we do it is because it's learned behavior. It's what we grew up with. It's how our household handled mistakes, however it unfolded. So a lot of it just is unconscious modeling. So again, when you dig down, it's like, oh, that part of me acts like so-and-so did in the early days. So then again, great. Now you can re-educate yourself. So that's a big one. And I wish I could remember the name, but I believe it's a Japanese art form that does just what you described. So they have these beads and they're ancient. It's thousands of years old that breaks. Broke. I mean, obviously beads break. So in those days, when the bead broke, they wouldn't throw it away. Have you heard of this? Yes. They would take liquid gold mm-hmm. and fix them so that the bead was a thousand times more beautiful with the mistake honored with gold. And that's what you made me think of when you were talking. And I feel like that's the process. That's the celebration. Like, oh, I want the bead that's broken and then fixed with gold. Of course, I want the bead that had the mistake. So I think being aware of that and then that attitude, when you even go to different selves that disagree with that, you just have more compassion. Like I have room and you can sort of apply your own gold to the mistakes and think of yourself as ever more golden and fabulous with each error that you're like, oh, good, I can't wait for the next error because then I just get to be more gold. That's a brilliant way to look at it. I really, I really do love that. I mean, I think the message there is really for us all to just be more compassionate, be more understanding for ourselves. I mean, the truth is, and I've, I've talked about this before with others. And, you know, if you've been listening to the show for a really long time, then you know what I'm talking about. But at the end of the day, we have to have the same inner dialogue that we would have with our best friends. Yes. When, when your best friend does something where things don't work out or your child or your spouse or whatever, you're not going to 
start berating them. No, you tell them, hey, don't worry about it. It's okay. It's going to be all right. You'll get the next one or whatever it is. You're going to be. I love you anyway. Exactly. You have to treat yourself the same way you would treat others. We are so hard on ourselves, so much harder on ourselves than we are on anyone else. So it's, it's really imperative to treat ourselves with that same respect, same kindness and caring that we treat others with. Right. Yes. And I don't know. I just want to add one more thing, which is only semi-related to what you just said, but it goes back to the envy. I think the other thing that people do, including having more compassion when they envy someone or think they can't be like someone that they admire, it's because they're watching someone give themselves permission in an arena you are not allowing yourself. So if there's a part of you that won't give yourself permission to just be human and accept compassion that comes in and give compassion to oneself, somewhere in there you could explore what part of me isn't giving me permission because I know it's there. So that you, you just made me think of that. And because it, it's, it is, it's all right there. If you would just let it, you don't even have to work that hard is the, one of the best kept secrets, I think. Right. Self-acceptance. You have to accept yourself fully. A lot of the things that we don't give ourselves permission to do, it's because we're rejecting that aspect of ourselves. Yes. And so if you just accept yourself as you are and allow yourself to be perfectly imperfect. Oh, I love that. Things right. flow. The other Japanese, the wabasabi. <laughs> it's, it's so true. Before I ask you about our one little nugget that we can leave my listeners with today to, to live enhanced, before we go there, talking about the voice dialogue and the different selves that we have, I know that you address this in the book, but what are some of the different selves that we might encounter that you actually help us overcome through reading The Final Eighth? So selves could be resistor selves, perfectionists who are attached to the mirage goal. We'll just keep working, but we never get there. The inner critic that reminds you of why you shouldn't be doing the thing you're doing. And they come in varying forms. We uh, Substance users, addictive behavior types. So in a way, those selves give you something else to focus on, like fixing either a hangover or fixing that overspending. And it's a distraction tactic and you, you must deal with it. But all of those things take you from your higher purpose. And so in my book, I talk about some of the ones that are obvious, but also some that might be not so obvious, like the, the euphoric one that acts as if everything's already done and it feels so delicious, but you haven't actually taken the steps. Things like that. So I actually highlight many that are familiar, but more importantly, many that aren't, that are kind of like distracting you. You don't even realize that it's part of your stuckness. You haven't even put together that that's actually what's going on. I love it. Yeah. You know, you bring up the euphoric one, which to me, that's that's the one that that helps manifest things that you want to see in your yes. life. Using that euphoria is is how you really feel the end result. You feel the goal before it's actually made manifest in your life. And then allowing yourself to take the inspired action. Yes. That's how you actually get there. Because exactly. I, I, you know, we've talked about this before as far as manifesting and creating your life. At the end of the day, you can sit in your room and manifest all you want. The universe is going to give you inspired thoughts and actions to do and think and follow through with. If you just say, no, I'm going to sit in my room and allow it to show up. Listen, nobody's driving a Lamborghini into your bedroom. 
if that's what you're trying to manifest, right? Nobody's going to bring Hawaii into your bedroom or whatever your goal is. You're, you, you still have to use the little nudge that you're being given and, and follow it to its completion because that's how you manifest the thing that you're trying to manifest. So I think it's very important to address that euphoric self and go, great, now that I've got that, where's my action self taking me? Exactly. And I would even say the way you described it, that would be a visionary self. And we would be nowhere without our visionary selves. But again, where are your inspired action selves? That's so beautifully put because that's also your part. It's why you matter. If we didn't matter, we could just stay in our bed and things would come in. But our own unique blueprint matters. Mm -hmm. It's what your inspired action may technically look the same as mine on a piece of paper, but I might do mine in stilettos and you might do yours in boots. And that will automatically make things a little different. And that's the fun of it. So I agree with you completely. The inspired action is why we matter. And we do. <laughs> it's so true. If you could give my listeners today one thing that would help them live inspired or one thing that would help them overcome, you know, one negative belief or one, you know, one core negative belief, let's say that, uh, what would that be? That we have inside of ourselves golden shadows. In other words, don't be scared to explore because you're going to find your wise sages, your magical inner selves, canny advisors. And so you'll be finding parts of yourself that maybe were buried and they're full of fun and creativity. And so digging in is not your worst fear. It's going to just elicit so much pleasure and excitement. And that's going to keep you going in your inspired actions. I love that. Don't be afraid to shine the light on the darkest sides or darkest depths of your consciousness, yeah. because what you're going to find there is a treasure trove of awesomeness. I think that would be my way to sum that up. <laughs> I love your summation. <laughs> Thank you so much. The final eighth is available now, I believe, right? Yes. Can you tell everyone where they can get your book, how they can... So Sure. So the final eighth, enlist your inner selves to accomplish your goals are available anywhere books are sold, including Amazon or online. And I'm all over online. So I'm finaleighth.com, or you can just kind of hunt my name and please feel free to contact me. Every third Thursday, I offer a free basic voice dialogue Zoom shop. So you can, anyone can come, just contact me for the Zoom info and see how it works because it's one thing to read it, but then you can watch a small, two small basic voice dialogue facilitations. So that's another way that people can be like, oh, I got this. And then they can do their own finally process. And I'm going to get you the name of that art form up with the golden beads. So we can add that to the show notes if that's okay, because it's so cool. That's wonderful. Absolutely. Bridget Dangle Gaspard, thank you so much for being with me today. The final eighth available everywhere. I highly recommend you pick it up. Thank you once again so much for being on the show today. It's been wonderful having you. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Enhanced Living Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to reach me directly at enhancedliving.net. Thanks for listening.